Have you ever said no to a client because you didn't have a bookkeeper available to handle the work? With BooksTime, you can take on unlimited bookkeeping engagements. You'll never again have to turn away a client because you don't have a bookkeeper available. Stay tuned to hear an exclusive offer from our sponsor, BooksTime, later in the episode. And if you had Robinhood, your accounts, you couldn't access them. You couldn't make trades. What a disaster. And then they were down again on Tuesday uh, for part of the morning. They're yeah. saying that it's because of the volume. Yep. Like they weren't able to handle the transaction volume. I heard a, or listened to a podcast and they mentioned that they had a bug because of the leap year. Are you serious? This episode of the Cloud Accounting Podcast is sponsored by ClockChart. Way back in October of 2013, I became ClockChart's very first Twitter follower. Today, ClockChart has grown into a highly rated and very much loved time tracking app that is now used by over 5,000 small businesses. With features like crew tracking, scheduling, overtime notifications, routes, geofencing, locations, job costing, budgeting, and reporting, the ClockChart team has built a robust mobile time tracking app to handle the unique challenges that face your clients who have mobile workforces. By using ClockShark, you and your clients will be confident that their time tracking data is correct and perfectly synced with their QuickBooks or ADP, allowing payroll to be on time and accurate. While other time tracking apps are charging as much as $8 or more per month per employee, ClockShark offers ClockShark Standard Plan for just $6 a month per employee. Head over to cloudaccountingpodcast.promo forward slash ClockShark. That is cloudaccountingpodcast.promo forward slash C-L-O-C-K-S-H-A-R-K. This episode of the Cloud Accounting Podcast is sponsored by BQE Core. If you're focused on niche clients that are architects, engineers, consultants, or lawyers, BQE is the app for them. And BQE Succeed is the conference for you to best connect with companies in those niches. BQE Succeed is happening from May 31st to June 3rd, 2020 at the Encore at Wynn Las Vegas. And listeners can get $200 off registration by using code CAP2020. The Cloud Accounting Podcast will be there. Will you? Head over to cloudaccountingpodcast.promo forward slash BQE Succeed. That is cloudaccountingpodcast.promo forward slash B-Q-E-S-U-C-C-E-E-D. Welcome to the Cloud Accounting Podcast. I'm Blake Oliver. And I'm David Leary. And neither of us has coronavirus yet, but we don't know because we can't test. I'm not going to leave my closet, so I'm (laughs) not going to get it. (laughs) You're quarantined in Tucson. I'm here in LA and I just received a text message from my father-in-law that there's a kid who went to Italy for a ski trip. Now he has coronavirus and he's under quarantine at the Tarzana hospital and his family are under self-quarantine in their home. So this is like right next door to me now. (sighs) I don't know. You were telling me before we started recording that you're out of toilet paper. I saw in the news, all the Costco's in Tucson, I guess, apparently are out of toilet paper. People are hoarding that. I haven't even tried to go buy toilet paper. So I I hope I, we didn't do any doomsday prepping. So I don't know what I'm going to do. Anyway... (laughs) What's the tie-in to accounting? Well, the Wall Street Journal, no, the Journal of Accountancy had an article about the disclosures uh, about coronavirus in the annual reports and interim reports from some big companies, because we would expect that there would be some disclosures. Nothing like super surprising. Yum! Brands filed their annual report on February 20. They're talking about how their restaurants in mainland China have been closed or shortened hours. Their suppliers there can't provide food or supplies. Significant sales declines in Hong Kong and Taiwan. And they are unable to predict the uh, impact on results because nobody really knows how severe this is or how long it's going to last. And Yum! Brands, by the way, is like a big chain of restaurants that includes, I think, Pizza Hut. and I think, Do they own KFC too? 
I don't remember. I think that's the same. Yeah, that might yeah. be the same. Okay. So um, really popular brands in Asia. Uh, Apple, of course, disclosed in their quarterly guidance on the 17th of February, the iPhone supply worldwide is going to be temporarily constrained. Factories have reopened, but they're ramping up more slowly than they anticipated. Demand in China is down due to their stores in China still being closed. That, that all makes sense, right? If, if companies truly have dependencies on China, right? Yeah. And now it's rippling out to other factors like airlines now are, are worried about some losses they're going to have, flight, people buying tickets and flights are down the cruise industry. So I think there's some rebels, but I also feel like I'm just seeing the story after story of story of companies just claiming this, like, oh, like they probably had a bad quarter and now, now they get an out. Like right. You get to have a bad yeah, quarter this quarter covering. and you get to have a bad quarter next quarter. You just, you, you get to play this card now. Everybody's going to play the card. So yeah. <laughs> um, it's, it's almost like just stamp all, every, every financial statement just can have that on the top. Well, it, it, it's like whenever there's a big story in the news, it can provide cover for you. If you have bad news that gets pushed to the second page or the third page, or maybe it doesn't even make it into the newspaper or onto cable news, that's a good thing for you, right? And that's also the case potentially for Wells Fargo. We talked about the Wells Fargo fake account scandal. I think you'd have to have been living under a rock not to know about this by now. Uh, happened over years, uh, and they got basically found out a few years ago. They were fined $3 billion recently, spotted that in CFO magazine. It was a deal announced last month uh, with the Department of Justice Criminal Investigation Unit. So this was $3 billion they got fined for falsifying bank records and ID theft and all sorts of stuff there. And the reason I'm bringing this up in the context of coronavirus is that the CEO of Wells Fargo is getting called before the House uh, House Committee in Congress next week. So maybe he'll give his testimony and then we'll all be so distracted by the coronavirus that none of us will take in the news that not only did they do this stuff and they got fined for it, but there's a new House report about this Wells Fargo scandal that says that Wells Fargo continues to abuse customers. Wow. But, yeah. Th it's really bad. So they released this report. He's going in front of Congress next week. And in any other news cycle, this might be a top story, but I haven't seen any of this on cable news. It's not going to be covered. You're right. Yeah. You're right. Be between and, and, the election coverage and- Well, so we're going to talk country. about it because I feel like you know accountants advising their clients on what banks to use should know about this stuff, right? So- they are accusing the board of Wells Fargo of failing to hire managers with sufficient compliance experience, allowing management to repeatedly submit inadequate plans in response to the 2018 regulatory consent orders. Apparently, former CEO Timothy Sloan gave false statements to Congress in March of 2019. And lastly, Wells Fargo prioritized financials and other considerations rather than working on fixing the issues identified by regulators. Finally, um, the report says that the bank continues to engage in customer abuses and that the potential for widespread consumer harm still remains, even after $3 billion of fines recently. And then I think there was like $7 billion before that. So Amazing. Yeah, amazing, right? So so which direction should, should I go? Should we? I have stories about banks. We could keep going on the bank trail or we could try to knock out a little bit more about um, the virus. A little on that. When you say the bank trail, are you talking about um, the shark tank, uh, the shark who got her money back? We could we could do that one. That's fine. I was actually going to go down some other bank trails, oh. but yeah, we can be doing an update from last week. So as 
last week, right? We reported in that the Shark Tank judge, and I'm going to let Blake say her last name. <laughs> so it's, I got, I'm going to get it right this time. Barbara Corcoran. So she got her $400,000 back, Blake. Apparently she was fast enough and the money was going through a German bank. That was where the bookkeeper wired the money and the German bank froze the transfer before it was deposited into a bank in China, which is where the scammer is. So do you think your average client would be able to do this and get their money back? As Jacob Oberlander said on Twitter, it's probably only because she's famous. Most banks I doubt would you know, bend over backwards to help. But hey, yeah, we don't know for sure. And, and, and maybe the bank saw the irregularity. Right. It's possible. Um, as far as like, oh, that's interesting. Why is this money moving through us just to go to a separate account in China really fast or, you know, something like that? We don't know. We don't know. But lucky her. So yeah. she got her money back. What was the other banking news that you had? How about this? Lending Club. Have you ever heard, seen a commercial for Lending Club or heard of Lending Club? I've heard of them. I, I don't really, I've never used them. I don't really know much about them. So they, they're kind of in the loan space for personal loans. So, Similar to, I think there was a, there's a company out there, Lending Tree. Kind of, you you go, you apply for your loan there, and then they go match you up with a bank. Okay. They finally IPO'd two years ago. They had like a eight billion dollar gain, but they are the first fintech company to buy a bank. Really? So we've talked about this over and over again about oh, the fintech companies are trying to become banks. They want to become banks. They're getting bank charters. They just said forget it, and they bought a bank. And now, you know how much it was purchased for? Uh, I'm looking at it right now because I found the story in our show notes. 185 million in cash and stock. Wait, that's not very much. So it was a, either struggling or it was a Radius Bancors who they bought as a bank, uh, Austin Bank. And they got it cheap. I mean, so we were talking about last week, like, what are the things Intuit could have spent money on? Yeah. Intuit could have bought a bank. And they could have become the bank of QuickBooks, right? Like, how great would it be if you opened up a QuickBooks account and you got your bank account at the same time? It kind of makes a lot of sense, right? And bank feeds would never go down, bank feeds would never break. Is this going to be a trend? It started to happen when fintech companies are now buying banks to, to bypass the charter. Well, let's um, stay on the fintech yeah. beat and let's talk about Robinhood. Yes. Uh, that's the, I was just going to click on that tab next. Going back to the whole coronavirus thing, the markets have been swinging up and down. I don't really follow it that closely because it makes me seasick to think about my 401k <laughs> going up and down like that. But you know, we're talking about gains of what, three to 5% drops of two to three to four to 5% in the market in the same day? Lots, trillions of dollars. And if you were if you were super a little lucky and actively trading, you could have made like a 15% swing between, I think, Wednesday afternoon and Monday yeah, night. If and you caught the bottom and the top at the right top time, the right? Times. Yes, yes. Well, so some people, unfortunately, didn't even get the chance to do that because they used an app called Robinhood for their stock trading. Robinhood, we have talked about in the past on the show. I don't remember exactly in what context, but well, they were they they tried to become a bank without a bank charter and got in trouble oh, for that. Remember, they right, were opening up people's right. che- they were opening checking accounts for people and they didn't have a bank charter. <laughs> that got shut down really fast. So this is one of those hot fintech startups that disrupted the stock trading apps or companies because they offer free stock trading. And recently, all of the other providers of, you know, what do you, what do you even call this whole market of services, right? Sur- it used to be called like a discount, right? It's like the Target and Walmart discount of trading. stock trades, but now it's just free, right? It's right. Um, Ameritrade. Um, E-Trade. E-Trade. Merrill Lynch. Yeah. And they're all owned by the big players now. Yeah. Right. 
and they all went free because of Robinhood. So Robinhood came in. They have raised $912 million. They are valued at $7.6 billion. There are 10 million users using Robinhood. They have a premium product called Robinhood Gold, but most of these people just use it for free to trade stocks. And the news is on Monday, they were down from 6.30 a.m. Pacific to 11 p.m. Pacific. And that was the day that the markets roared back and it was the biggest gain in the markets in history in a single day, $1.1 trillion in gains. And if you had Robinhood, your accounts, you couldn't access them. You couldn't make trades. What a disaster. And then they were down again on Tuesday uh, for part of the morning. They're saying that it's because of um, the volume. Like they yep. weren't able, able to handle the transaction volume. But I was listening, I, I heard a, or listened to a podcast and they mentioned that they had a bug because of the leap year. Are you serious? They didn't have a fail safe. They didn't have a backup. And, and that's actually why they're getting sued now. There's a class action lawsuit that I just saw before we started recording down in Florida. Yeah, they're going to get sued. Uh, this, this is going to be very hard for them to recover. Well, and you know what they're offering their uh, customers in exchange for their trouble? The Amazon gift cards? They, no, the, it's better than that. The users of Robinhood Gold, which is the $5 a month paid offering they have, they're giving them three f- months of service for free. So that's $15. For new signups only? <laughs> I don't know. It sounds it's, like a new signup promotion. It, it's not good. And it's not good. Maybe it's a testament of why it takes so long to get a bank charter. That it takes a decade. Yeah. Because the, you just can't like the, the, it's okay if you're building a social media app and it's just like hey build it fast break stuff who cares yeah but I don't, you can't do it in with, pe- with people's money you just can't no can't have this kind of outage so yeah, let's stay on banks how about a survey of bank executives let's hear it how are they feeling so so this survey went out to bank executives it is um, the fourth quarter bank executive business outlook survey. That came out. All right. And there's a couple of takeaways in it. But one of the uh, questions in the, the fear is, are banks afraid of payment and money transfer apps? Oh, this is what we've been talking about. Tech. Apple pays the PayPals, the Stripes, the Venmos, right? Are, are they afraid of that? And more than three-fourths, 76% said they fear these new money, these new platforms. Wow. So the banks are, they're scared because these tech companies are very aggressively becoming banks. Yeah. I'd say terrified. That's a huge number. More than three in 10 said their first read in the morning is a cable TV network's website. Oh, well, that's that's stupid. I'll skip well, that. It's, yeah, that. it's stupid because they should, I mean, they should be listening to the Cloud Accounting <laughs> podcast every morning and then they would, they, they would be able to compete better with these fintech players that are out there. Let's go quickly to app news. Okay. Because we have an app update. NetSuite has released their 2020 release number one. And there's a ton of stuff in there because NetSuite, I think they do like four releases a year. So they, and, and, you know, it's a huge ERP system. So they jam a bunch into these releases. And a lot of it is niche or very specific to a certain module. But one caught my attention, David. It's going to blow your mind. It's called Intelligent Cash Management. North American companies can take advantage of the Bank Feeds Suite app, which allows them to link their bank and credit card accounts and automatically imports transactions and account balances from financial institutions directly into NetSuite, providing real-time access to cash balances. So, in other words, bank feeds. Bank feeds are coming to NetSuite, which they never had before, which blows people's minds when they come from the QuickBooks world into the world of ERP that 
wait, I had to download this stuff manually and import it? We solved this 10 years ago in the world of cloud. Bank feeds. That's, that's amazing. Congratulations. Welcome to our world. <laughs> and here's the thing. They're taking it a little further. And this is something I would love to see Zero or QuickBooks do if they don't. Maybe you can tell me if they do or not, David. So for those companies outside the US or for companies looking to create their own framework to import financial transactions, NetSuite has also introduced the Bank Connectivity API which allows developers to build their own plugin to NetSuite to connect to any bank they choose and access all the same data flows available through the BankFeeds Suite app. So you can plug into a bank that has a connection, or you can build your own connection from a bank or maybe even your own app into the bank feeds in NetSuite. Which is interesting because I, I, I'm willing to bet like bigger companies that are using NetSuite mm-hmm. have probably already built some level of bank feed fetching on their own. Remember when we uh, interviewed the... uh... We interviewed a Sage Intact user at Intact Advantage and her group had built a essentially a bank feed. It was automatically posted a journal entry summarizing the daily transactions into Intact from their bank account because there wasn't a bank feed available. Yeah, so I imagine these... And that was... uh, Donors choose. Donors choose. So I imagine there's companies just like that. They have a team. They've already built some sort of bake fetching, bake feed internally, and they've been pulling it out and they're just dumping a CSV or an export, a batch file, and then shoving it into NetSuite. And now they'll be able to plug into that via maybe an API or something. That's really, really cool. Really cool, right? And they also have intelligent rules engine as well. So there's bank rules available. So you can automate matching and coding. We're moving on. We're moving forward. So I have some uh, news about Sage. Okay. Speaking of app news, so Sage Sage is pulling out of Brazil, so they're offloading their Brazilian operations, and then they're also offloading Sage Pay here in the U.S., which is their payroll product. Really? And then so 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 as they if they focus more on the cloud, they're starting to cut other initiatives that maybe don't match their strategic focus going forward. Mm -hmm. Well, I know that Brazil is a very difficult market because there's some really unique stuff going on there for accounting software and ERP. You have to be locally compliant with a bunch of stuff. And there's a, there's an app called TOTVS, all capitals, Mm -hmm. TOTVS maybe. And apparently it just dominates the ERP market in Latin America. And so it's very hard for others to uh, uh, scratch the surface and get in there. This episode of the Cloud Accounting Podcast is sponsored by BooksTime. Save precious time by outsourcing your client's bookkeeping work to BooksTime. With BooksTime, you get a dedicated team of tech-savvy, experienced, and responsive bookkeepers that have expertise in cloud apps like QBO, Xero, Bill.com, HubDoc, and more. The self-managed teams can scale to meet your needs even when your needs change. They'll even follow your processes and use your systems so you don't have to change a thing. You'll never again have to worry about recruiting, training, or managing bookkeepers again, allowing you to focus on your high-margin services, building client relationships, and growing your practice. BooksTime has a special offer only for listeners of the Cloud Accounting Podcast. If you sign up by April 30th, 2020, you'll get $500 off your first invoice. To get started with a risk-free trial and see why leading modern accounting firms around the country rely and love BooksTime, head over to cloudaccountingpodcast.promo slash bookstime. That is cloudaccountingpodcast.promo forward slash B-O-O-K-S-T-I-M-E. All 
All right, what's next? So there's a startup, Atrium. Oh, yes. That was building kind of a QuickBooks Live model, but for law. law right. Right. And they, they, they started years ago doing this. They took $75 million in startup money. They're completely shutting it down. They're giving some of the money back to investors. They laid off their staff. Um, and TechCrunch has, a, has an article and they've interviewed the, the founders about this. And I just thought there was a couple of quotes that really are eye-opening because in lieu of the two weeks ago, we talked about scale factor, possibly pivoting. We talked about um, how tough this is for somebody like Pilot. Pilot's offering these other services. You said historically, when you started your original bookkeeping firm, you thought you'd be building this scalable thing. Yeah. Right. So I'll, I'll read his quote and um, it just it's, it's pretty blunt. Um, if you look at our original business model with the verticalized law firm, a lot of these companies that have this kind of full stack model are not going to survive. Was that, was that Justin Can? Yes. So he has an interesting background. Uh, he founded Justin.tv, which later became Twitch, and he sold that to Amazon for $970 million. Yep. And you wonder, I wonder, how do you go from video game streaming, live streaming, to a law firm slash software company? They originally started as software plus a service. So it was more like an Indonero or a, or a bench type situation, right? Where you have, we're going to provide this service using our own proprietary software. And then they later tried to pivot when that wasn't working to just doing the software and then farming out the legal work. So they separated the- Which is, that's where Scale Factor just announced they're going to try to do next. Right. <laughs> So it's almost scale factor is like having the same journey. Similar, right? And he and he talks about how other companies similar to his, including theirs, did not figure out how to make a dent in operational efficiency. Mm-hmm. So they took a service business and they thought, we're just going to put engineers and software behind it and make this happen. And they weren't able to do it. Yeah. So this reminds me of kind of a story because now we're seeing this, right? It makes we're starting to question like scale factor possibly pivoted, pilots possibly pivot. Feels like they've got a little bit of a pivot happening, right? Mm-hmm. And we talked about last week like maybe this is harder than we think, right? It, it and, is. It's a lot harder than than people think, especially people coming from outside the professions. I was thinking about this all week. A lot of these companies are small. You know, you got a hundred people on it, so you probably have fifty of them are your either your bookkeepers or your lawyers, depending on you know if you're building this this business model for law firms or if you're building this model for accountants and bookkeepers, right? So you got so half your staff's accountants and bookkeepers. You got obviously tons of marketing people because these apps like Scale Factor, et cetera, are just being marketed everywhere. So how many engineers do you actually have? Ten, fifteen, really working on this problem right. of, of building this out. And so it reminds me of a story at Intuit. So Intuit early on in the hosting days of hosting software for app developers. Intuit had a product called Intuit Partner Platform, and Intuit was going to host people's apps. And people were built on it. Um, the very first product that I built, uh, View My Paycheck, was actually on that platform. Mm. And at that time, Intuit eventually just shut it down. And I start, uh, and I was asking why, because obviously I was emotionally vested in it. Like I'm like, I built on this platform. And at that time, that's right around when Amazon's launching Amazon AWS. And this is when Google's running their app engine, whatever it's called, I always forget the name. And then uh, Microsoft's launching Azure. So all these cloud hosting products are out there for hosting software, software as a service, right? And the, the short answer was this. He's like, we put five engineers on it and Amazon put a thousand, right? Right. So now I'm thinking about, okay, so if these, these companies can't seem to build this QuickBooks Live model, but they're only putting 15, 20, let's say they put a hundred engineers on it. 
Intuit's probably putting a thousand on this. Yeah. And I'm not saying it means Intuit's going to solve it. It's just the problem's so enormous. You just can't do it with 10 engineers in a startup. It's going to have to be this massive effort to really build this out long term. Yeah. Yeah. We'll see. Based on what I've seen on Facebook about people inheriting books that were started by QuickBooks Live or done by QuickBooks Live, so far, it's not a challenge. (laughs) I mean, so far, they haven't figured it out. It's a mess. Yep. Uh, but, you know, we'll see. Maybe they'll they'll figure it out and they'll get it to work. Yeah. So, I, I wouldn't be surprised if we see uh, other stories about some of these startups that are trying to ter- create this model mm-hmm. uh, going forward, uh, either pivoting or changing the business model or running out of money. Well, I don't have a really good transition here, David. We could talk about Deloitte and virtual reality. You saw this article too. I, I didn't think you would actually bring it to the show because that's how ridiculous I thought the article was. But well, I have a I have a reason to bring it to the show. I think it could actually be really helpful. I I, I don't think they're using this technology in maybe the best way. And let me okay. let me explain what okay. I mean by laying the groundwork. What it, what exactly are we talking about? So this was a story in Accounting Today. The headline is Deloitte introduces VR platform for relocating staff. My, my first reaction is this is going to be ridiculous, right? So, the story is that as part of its Tax in 2020 initiative, Deloitte has introduced Immersive Mobility, a virtual reality-driven service that helps orient transitioning employees to new locations. The new offering is designed to reduce the financial and environmental costs of relocation. Immersive Mobility offers 360-degree city tours, virtual home tours, onboarding, and mixed reality training combining virtual reality, video, and more. The goal is for staff members and their families to have an easier transition when they move for work. And that sounds really nice. But then I thought to myself, wait, if you work at Deloitte, when do you ever see your family? So maybe they should be using this VR technology to help their employees at the office interact with their families back at home. I see. That's a good idea. <laughs> like you don't know what your kids look like anymore. Let's let's make put on a virtual reality headset and you can go see you know, what they're like when they're awake, because you never actually see them when they're awake because you come home when they're asleep. Oh boy. Right? Unbelievable. That That's what, how they should be utilizing this technology. I think it would be uh, really helpful for the employees there. So I think there's some uh, PCAOB news, but before we get into that, do you want to talk about like reviews and then maybe talk about conferences? Did you know that QuickBooks Connect was canceled? I did. In London? QuickBooks Connect. Was that supposed to be now? I think so. Uh, or third and fourth. So yesterday and the day before. Yes, it was supposed to be happening uh, yeah. pretty much. Probably a good precaution. I, I think everybody generally was supportive of that. Probably not a good idea for people to be getting in close quarters. Yeah. And so there's a lot of can- conferences being canceled. So lucky for all our listeners, yesterday, our, our staff of robots, I just, I just got a lot of bots working for us. We, we spun up a new website, accountingconferences.com. You know, David, I think Chrissy might be offended uh, yes. that you, you know, called our, her a bot. Chrissy. <laughs> some of, many of you, I think, <laughs> met Chrissy at, at QuickBooks Connect. So Chrissy uh, spun up a site. A hundred conferences are in there. And she's updated all the statuses if they're canceled, postponed, and she'll continue to monitor that and keep that site updated. So if you go to accountingconferences.com, you can stay on top of uh, the current status of any conference you might be attending or find other conferences and discover conferences you may want to attend. So that URL is accountingconferences.com? That's correct. How was that not taken? I'm amazed. Because I own it. You bought it uh, 20 years ago, right? When domains were brand new. And here's the best part, Blake. I, I set it up so people can get an iCal feed of these events and just stick them in their calendar if they want. And, and so there's some background on this. Every year for the last like six years, 
at the beginning of the year, I'm like, what common conferences are we going to do this year? And I'd go and make a spreadsheet of every conference. And you and I did this exercise for the podcast this year. And I was like, that's it. We got to put this so it's external so people can get to it. I'm sick of building this from scratch every year. It's my gift to the world. Here's accountingconferences.com. That's great. Well, thank you for that, David. I'm going to go check it out and maybe I'll find some that I missed. Because you said it's 100 conferences? It's very comprehensive. I think we have 100, 101 conferences are in there. Amazing. Well, let's talk about taxes because it is tax season. I spotted a story in Politico. The headline is, Mnuchin directs IRS to boost audits on wealthy. We talked about this very briefly in the past. I think you said something along the lines of, what was it? I think there were some studies done. It might have been on ProPublica as well, where it was very clear that the IRS would audit more poor people as a ratio yes. because the audits are easier. <laughs> it's too much work to audit a rich person's tax return. Yeah. And I didn't realize that that was actually happening. So Treasury Secretary Stephen Mnuchin basically acknowledged in a congressional hearing that the IRS has been auditing fewer people at the top of the income scale and more people at the bottom recently. Representative Judy Chu, a Democrat from California, said that 30% of taxpayers at the top of the income scale were audited about a decade ago, but just 7% of them faced audits in 2018. So from 30 to 7%. Meanwhile, those at the low end, particularly taxpayers who claim the earned income tax credit, now account for 39% of all audits. So she asked Treasury Secretary Stephen Mnuchin about this, and he said that he's going to direct the IRS to ramp up their audits on higher income taxpayers with uh, the funding that they have proposed for 2021. They're going to have to fund and hire for this because I think that was the problem. They just don't have the bodies to do it. And it's a lot harder to audit high income taxpayers than people who are just taking the standard deduction and claiming some dependent exemptions, right? Or um, yep. I'm not sure what the biggest fraud is, but the one that people do is they claim dependence they shouldn't c claim, right? That's the easiest thing to do. You just get somebody's social security number and claim them as a dependent. Uh, and that's where all of these like tax shops have gotten in trouble a lot in the past that we've talked about. Right? The, people are just turning a blind eye to it when it happens. and Yeah. Or even encouraging it saying, you know, how many dependents do you have? Wink, wink. Not easy for the IRS to uh, verify unless somebody is stupid enough to use the same dependent on two returns. Uh, so that's it for tax news. You mentioned PCAOB. Yeah, there's PCAOB. We can jump into that. Yeah. So well, you sent this on to me, so thank you for that. The backstory is that we talked about how the Trump administration proposed eliminating the PCAOB and rolling its responsibilities into the SEC. And we covered a few opinion pieces, one by the former head of the SEC and one by Francine McKenna opposing that, saying that the PCAOB is necessary and important. And then we looked into actually how effective they are based on a oversight agency report. And, and uh, you found that, that expose article about how it's just – a bunch of people who work there eventually just go work for the big four. Then people work for the big four work there. And it's just like a revolving door of criminal activity is what this article implied. And, and this is very common. Like you said in the past with regulatory agencies, regulatory capture is where the folks in the industry go work for the regulator, then go back into industry. And so they have no reason to actually enforce the rules in anything but a hand slapping kind of way or a nominal way, which is what's happened with the PCAOB where they have 
levied less than one half of 1% of the fines that they could have over the last 16 years on the big four for audit failures, which are massive. They found like 800 something audit failed audits or audits that didn't weren't done right. And they didn't really do much about it. So anyway, there was a letter to the Wall Street Journal and somebody actually said, hey, they acknowledged this. And it was uh, Professor J.H. Heiser from Texas Lutheran University. And he wrote uh, in response to the former head of the SEC, uh, Mr. Levitt, saying that a significantly better arrangement is to have truly independent auditors. All we need is the major pension plans and institutional holders to insist that any organization in which they hold stock be audited periodically by a truly independent auditor. Most of the periodic scandals to which the big four subject stakeholders would disappear. And that's you know the argument I made, right? Which is, uh, we don't necessarily need the PCAOB if we simply remove the conflicts of interest that audit firms have, which is they do stuff that's not audit and they work for the companies they're auditing. They get paid by the companies they're auditing. And you know, if we just had a third party select the auditor, then maybe that would do a lot to reduce this conflict of interest. And he's right. I think the major pension plans and huge institutional holders, they have a vested interest to see Books that are in the up and up, right? They yeah. want audited books correct and correct financials. So if people aren't using it to make investment decisions, but these institutionalized um, investors that are probably buying and holding for a long time want to make sure things are still on track, Yep. right? But the day, the day traders using Robinhood are not really using these the reports. Yeah, they're, they're just gambling, a lot of them. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so speaking of gambling, did you see that uh, ransomware hit the Four Queens Hotel and Binion's Casino in downtown Las Vegas. Oh, yes. You sent me this story. Normally, ransomware attacks, like there's not a visual to go with it, but there's some great video in the story, people walking through the casino and the machines are just showing error messages and stuff. The whole slot machine floor is just a ghost town. What happened here? They, they say all signs point to it's a ransomware attack, but they're not obviously giving out a lot of information beyond that. Somehow or another, a ransomware attack has rippled into disabling these slot machines. Well, and apparently the slot machines are not very well secured in the first place. So if, if you can gain access to a network, you can do a lot. I wonder if maybe, you know, we'll, we'll eventually see like an Ocean's Eleven type movie where instead of actually physically getting into the vault, they're just in front of computers hacking into the slot machines. <laughs> it's hitting everybody. It's hitting everybody. This is a bigger threat than coronavirus, possibly. I still insist that. You, the odds of your client getting affected um, by coronavirus versus ransomware, my money's on the ransomware first. But this is preventable. It's super preventable. So the last thing I've got to talk about is women in the accounting profession and the challenges that they face. It's kind of a heavy topic, but I definitely want to at least address some of it in this episode. That works. There's an article in the Journal of Accountancy by Joey Havens. He's a partner at a big firm. He's a CPA executive partner at Horn LLP, where he leads the 600-employee firm Strategic Visioning for Culture, Growth, and Client Experience. Apparently, he attended the AICPA Women's Global Leadership Summit in 2019, and two stories stuck with him, and he shared them in this article. And they're pretty terrible, <laughs> I have to say. The first story involves a woman who was recognized in her organization as a star performer and fast tracker. Upon the arrival of her first child, she began a reduced work schedule and still continued to perform at a very high level. Her evaluation was outstanding. She was noted as delivering great client service, but the meeting 
with her bosses at the firm ended with her being told, quote, you will not be eligible for a bonus promotion or raise until you return to a normal work schedule, unquote. And she ended up quitting the firm and decided to open her own firm with two other women partners. So that sucks. You're a star performer. You're delivering great client service. And then when you do your performance review, you're told that you can't get a bonus promotion or raise until you return to a normal work schedule, despite you now having a kid, which I think anybody who has children who spends any time with them (laughs) knows that it's really hard to work uh, 60 to 80 hours a week and have a family that you actually get to see, right? And then there's a second story in this article, another rising star who was on the partner track. While she was pregnant with her first child, the firm obtained the biggest engagement in its history. They gave the client to this woman. They said, this client is yours. The engagement will help you make partner. She was only given four weeks of paid maternity leave, which required her to take another two weeks of paid time off. So she would have at least six weeks with her new baby daughter. Uh, It was made clear to her that she had to return to work as soon as possible to manage this new client. So she comes back after six weeks. Client demands that she work on-site every day, even though the office is two hours away from her home. So she has a four-hour commute with a new baby. And she tried the arrangement for three months, became sleep-deprived, had an automobile accident as a result of falling asleep on the way to work once. So she goes to the managing partner to explain the situation is unsustainable. She can't keep doing this. And the partner basically says, you can leave work when you need to. And when she asks for clarification, the partner says, if you can't do the job, you can quit. You know, these are just two stories, right? We can, I think we can guess that this is pretty common. Yeah. And this is just two stories um, related to like work-life balance. Yeah. To some extent. And and the ripple effect of that. So a listener sent us uh, an article that's on Reddit. Um, It's a Reddit discussion. It has about 500 comments, I think. So I think we'll stick it in the links, but it's somewhat related to a female's experience at PwC and it's her sexual harassment experience at PwC. Yeah. It has almost 6,000 upvotes on the accounting subreddit, which is a lot, I think, for accounting and tons of comments. And it, I mean, we all have heard about these sexual harassment lawsuits going on to the big four. There've been a few and work-life balance, obviously, like these stories that we just talked about like totally could see that happening at a big four firm. This is definitely where the read. It's pretty awful uh, experience with HR, but uh, it doesn't surprise me. Yeah, check it out. So there's a lot of problems in accounting with gender uh, disparity at the partner level. I think surveys show year after year that managing partners, uh, just partners in general, are less than 20% women. And it gets worse as the bigger the firm. Well, and that's what's interesting about this is Actually, at firms between two and 10 CPAs, it's 50-50. It's actually slightly more women who are um, on executive committees at those firms. So it's really quite equitable in small firms. As you go up to 100 plus CPAs in a firm, it's less than 20% of women represented. That's where the problem is. It's in these big firms and they don't have a culture that is conducive to having a family, being a caretaker for your family. You got to be in the office. You got to commute to work every day. It's not flexible in, in a lot of cases. And even if they offer flexibility, if you take the flexibility, you limit your career trajectory. They're not going to promote you to partner. So women have to make this choice. It seems to me that you either 
dedicate time to your family or your job, and you're not given the option to do both, even if you are an all-star performer. You can't make partner on a reduced schedule. And Accounting Today had an article that's really just related to this um, about remote work options. They could actually boost gender diversity based on an AICPA survey. AICPA put out their CPA firm gender survey. They conducted in August of 2019, and now they've announced the results. And so, so the numbers, they have a graph, but it's essentially what you already said about two to 10 CPAs versus um, people that are partners in the bigger firms that are 100 plus CPAs. But really talking about, and this goes to like those work-life balances, like making somebody drive for two and a half hours, and maybe she could have just worked from home right? or right. worked remotely. Right. And, and it can solve a lot of this. Not even willing to go to bat for you with the client basically saying, nope, we're not going to try to get another arrangement for you. It's inflexible. It's the culture, problem with the culture. And maybe that explains why I enjoy, you know, talking to people who run small firms, right? Who own small firms, who work in small firms, because I feel like the culture is completely different than in the big firm world. So should we talk about uh, listener feedback we got? Oh yeah. So at the end of the last episode, I gave out our new number, we have a phone number that you can call and leave us a voicemail. So the number is 202-695-1040. You can call that number and leave us a message and uh, we might play it on the air. We'll definitely listen to it. And we got our first uh, voicemail. So shall we give it a listen, David? Absolutely. You've got mail. Hi, this is Lauren from California, and I was out of the workforce for six years at home raising my four kids, and I just jumped back into full-time accounting, and I'm able to offer my employer hybrid work schedule where I can have the flexibility to work from home two days a week, three days from the office, all because of cloud accounting, and your podcast has really helped me keep up to date and catch up with all the new updates in the accounting world now that I'm back to work after six years being a stay-at-home mom and just wanted to say thank you and I listen to your podcast uh, religiously now and I definitely recommend to all my coworkers and any other stay-at-home moms looking to get back into the workforce I recommend remote accounting work I tell everyone to learn QuickBooks learn cloud accounting that is that is the future especially for a flexible work schedule if you have a family at home and thank you. Wow. Thanks Lauren that, for that message. That's so great to hear. And last week I asked if people would say, who should Intuit spend that $7 billion on? Uh, Hector Garcia sent me a message in Facebook. So he said Intuit could have bought Neat, you know, the receipt scanning product. They could have bought Receipt Bank. Yep. They could have bought Gusto. They could have bought Bill.com. They could have bought Money Thumb. They could have bought Sasat. They could have bought WebGility. They could have bought Toast, which is a restaurant point of sale. So, and he's right. They could buy all of these, this whole study. Obviously, we just talked in this episode, they could have bought a bank. So, it's kind of uh, amazing. They bought one company and they could have bought a bunch. And then I actually had, I know we, we got a voicemail right on the phone. I actually had dinner with a listener. Really? So, Amy McPherson, so she's from Advisor for Change. It's a nonprofit focused a book, remote bookkeeping firm. She listens to the show. She was in Tucson visiting her mother and she reached out to me on LinkedIn and said, hey, I'm going to be in town. Let's go to dinner. So I had dinner last night with a listener. That's awesome. So if you want to have dinner, David will buy you dinner. Just go to Tucson, hang out outside his house. As always. Uh, oh, I have some news actually about me. Oh, yeah. You have some big news. I can't believe we forgot. I forgot. So I 
am now joining um, an app company. So my time at Auto Entry, not that get acquired by Sage, is over, and I'm joining a new uh, company called Melio Payments. Cool. And I uh, I'll put the link in the blog post. It has a lot of information on that. But I fundamentally, um, I've always felt like there's room in the market for a payments player for the average small business owner that's almost free, free and cheap, the way they're, but easier to use than going to their bank's website, but not as complicated to use you know, where they need 15 approvers to pay their bills. And I always felt like there's room in the market for a product like that. And I um, kind of found it and stumbled upon that. And uh, I'm joining the Familio, as they like to say it. Familio. I love that. So it's a totally free payments tool. And does it integrate with anything? It integrates with QuickBooks Online right now. And hopefully uh, we'll integrate with lots of things. And I'm taking my, my role there is going to be I'm the director of accounting and uh, bookkeeping evangelism. And so that's the kind of, it works two directions, right? That's why I like that term evangelism. Like in one direction, I'm going to be, yes, getting accountants and bookkeepers excited about the Melio product. But on the other hand, it's I'm going to get the Melio team excited about accountants and bookkeepers so they solve everything that accountants and bookkeepers need, right? Mm-hmm. Workflows and onboarding your clients and accountant dashboards and um, approvals and just the list goes on. I'm, I'm, the list I'm making is growing very fast. And I actually even had a, you know, already today, people are sending me LinkedIn messages. Hey, does it do this? Does it do this? Can we add this? And so it's already started. So I, I have a lot of work cut out for me. Well, congratulations, David. Thank you. And I think that's all the time we've got this week, right? Safe travels. You are traveling to uh, where are you headed? I'm heading to um, Tel Aviv in so Israel. So that's where the, the Emilio headquarters, headquarters is? is? Yes. I head there tomorrow. Until next time, you can reach me at Blake T. Oliver on Twitter. I'm on LinkedIn. Email me, Blake at BlakeOliver.com. How about you, David? Uh, Twitter or LinkedIn. I'm just at David Leary. Very easy to find. And give us a call if you want. Use our new voicemail number, 202-695-1040. Let us know what you think. Tell us about a story or just leave a review. And I'll see you next week, David. Time for the classifieds. High Rock Accounting is searching for rock stars. We are a growing accounting firm looking to increase our team. Our ideal candidate will be self-motivated, eager to learn, and grow with the firm. We help businesses succeed by utilizing cutting-edge technology to provide accounting solutions that increase business efficiency and competitiveness. Our goal is simple, enhance accounting operations, improve accuracy, and reduce costs. As a high rock star, you'll be responsible for full-cycle accounting in a cloud environment. Email careers at highrock.co. That's careers at highrock.co. One of the biggest hurdles accounting firms face is finding training that is current and relevant. There is an answer. Elephant Training. Elephant offers webinars and training on Xero, QuickBooks, and cloud-based apps and modern practice management issues like remote leadership and creative compensation. Their instructors are firm owners who also happen to be international experts in cloud accounting. This year, Elephant is offering recordings of their most popular webinars, plus valuable resources in their brand new learning library. You can use code CAP20 for 20% off your subscription. Bulk licenses for firms are also available. Visit elephanttraining.com for more info. That's elephanttraining.com. Accountants and bookkeepers, are you itching to make a career pivot and escape the 9 to 5 grind in the busy season stress and start to build your own career path where you work virtually on your own terms? Then you need to get your copy of the newly released Bookkeeping Side Hustle Guidebook and learn actionable steps to become a virtual bookkeeper without the overwhelm. Cloud Accounting Podcast listeners can get the ebook for 30% off with the code CAP30OFF. Get your copy at bookkeepingsidehustle.com forward slash bookkeeping dash guidebook. 
Want to get the word out about your newsletter, webinar, party, Facebook group, podcast, job posting, or that fancy Excel macro you just created? Why not let the listeners of the Cloud Accounting Podcast know by running a classified ad? Hit the show notes for the link to get more info.